Welcome to CYC Podcast Discussions on Child and Youth Care. I'm Wolfgang Vashon. If you're a regular and consistent listener, you might have noticed that this is coming into your feed on a different week and a different day than usual. <laughs> That's because this episode is being released on the first Friday of January 2021. And we are launching an exciting new partnership that CYC Podcast has begun. And this partnership will be coming to you every Friday for the next 12 weeks. Here at CYC Podcast, all of us, myself, Salvatore, and our fabulous editor, Christopher, have always wanted to and continue to strive to provide platforms for other people, other perspectives to um, discuss things that matter regarding children and youth. That's why we partnered with Taking It Global, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed that partnership and, and the different uh, experiences and, and stories um, and the different hosts, right? Jade and uh, our, our Francophone folks um, who have been doing stuff as well. As our partnership with, with TIG and Rising Youth winds down, we were looking for some other ways to collaborate, and we are so thrilled to be collaborating with a new person, uh, Shanice McCaniff, the founder of Project Outsiders. Shanice is going to be basically taking over Fridays for the next few months and releasing weekly episodes on a theme that all of us here at CYC Podcast are super committed to and that we see as a, as a crucial topic and a topic that does not have enough people speaking about it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shanice, and for having this conversation. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm very excited for this conversation. Excellent. Me too. So let's start by um, introducing yourself. Who are you and, and what are you going to be bringing to us, Shanice? Yeah, so as you've mentioned, my name is Shanice McCannaf. I am currently a... Uh, a, a I would say a provincial advocate for youth in the child welfare system. I'm currently trying to pursue a degree at Umass University for psychology and um, uh, essentially wanted to start my own nonprofit organization. I wanted to since I was in care. And I think that the way in which this organization had began was a very interesting one. It was one where we, me and a former youth who used to live in the same group home as I, been having like a lot of discussions around, you know, the struggles and difficulties that we faced while we lived together and how much we've both grown. And I was always just like the mother of the house and wanted to see better outcomes for kids who are really struggling. And so, Essentially, I've started a really long journey from first year uh, at McMaster. I always had the intention of starting a nonprofit organization. And um, through multiple conversations with a bunch of different professionals and a lot of youth as well, I've started to formulate a plan of how I would like this organization to look like. And my goal really was to start with the youth voices. And throughout my advocacy career, um, that really started to launch within the past one or two years. I've sat down with a numerous amount of people from you know, uh, the child welfare system, both youth and uh, social workers. And 
um, but the feedback in which I've heard is that they've had so much conversations around, you know, the the difficulties that's in the barriers that a lot of youth in care face. And um, these conversations really are exhausting and don't typically end up going anywhere. It's kind of one of these one-off incidences where youth have the opportunity to sit down with uh, provincial leads and members of the government to talk about their struggles and to hopefully see change for themselves or for those who are still in care. And there would be no follow-up. There was never a system of accountability, essentially. And so um, I really wanted to create create that. And I think by us youth really trying to, first of all, share our experiences and our stories to build that awareness, we hope to then really collaborate more effectively with members of the government to develop strategies to uh, modernize, I guess, the welfare system. That's, and so, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so, there's so much in there. And, and, and um, yeah, I'm really excited about this, this, this project. And, and I wonder just to, to, if we could take a step back before we, before we talk about, you know, what, what the podcast is going to do and, and how Project Outsiders intends to do this, mm-hmm. you, you keep mentioning sort of your own struggles, the, the struggles of, of the, the guy you lived in the group home with and the, and the difficulties and, and what are, what are some of the, the, the struggles or difficulties that um, young people who are currently in the care system or uh, transitioning out of the care system or who have recently left the care system, what are some of the struggles and difficulties that, that folks are facing? Mm-hmm. I would say the biggest one that I've heard from, that, that I've experienced myself, but also heard from the youth who come onto the podcast is that we're very much alone. Um, I think there is this uh, feeling of being really misunderstood and almost not seen, almost viewed as like an outsider. And um, essentially, like the barriers in which we face are, you know, I would say transitioning out of the foster care system and really figuring out our footing, almost being forced to be independent too soon and not really being able to uh, deal and cope with our surroundings and our trauma, constantly being in a state of instability and um, having the, not themes, but the settings around you constantly changing, um, including your housing, including um, the your relationships. And it just promotes a lot of instability that follows you way after you age out of the foster care system. And um, it's, it, and, and, and I, I believe that there's not a whole lot of people who understand um, the severity of these issues. And um, I would probably say that also that it, it is, as much as there is a lot of information out there, um, gathered around, you know, the success of those who age out of the foster care system. It hasn't really been taken uh, that seriously um, before. For example, with like the amount of youth dropping out of school, um, or the the homeless population, and how much of uh, youth in the welfare system represent that. And so, 
it, it's kind of like I would say there's like there's a number of issues in which we want addressed, but the biggest one I think is really like almost like that empathy, that that collaboration and those conversations um, for us to actually um, start to recover from our situation and almost not allow it to define us. Um, I think, yeah, that needs to be taken a lot more seriously. Sure. And so you, you, are going to be launching this podcast series and, and you have a, you have a, a amazing big vision for this podcast series. Let, let's start with season one, um, mm-hmm. which you've pretty much finished at this point in time. Yeah. Um, who's coming on the show in, in season one? Well, I'm super excited for this. So we have a lot of different, um, first voice advocates coming on to the show. So um, not only just first voice advocates, but also some well-known, um, you know, uh, not youth, but like uh, adults who've actually have been advocates for youth in the foster care system, kind of sharing and, things from their perspective. Could, um, you just, could you just define for some people who haven't listened to all of our podcasts or don't know the yeah. term, what, what is first voice advocates? What do, what do you mean by that term? So first voice advocates essentially is somebody who has lived experience in the welfare system, who's really using their experience to advocate for others um, and to promote uh, better outcomes for kids who are currently in care. So um, they could, you know, be still in the foster care system advocating um, for other youth or for themselves, or they could have already aged out of the welfare system and um, are using their uh, intimate experiences to um, speak with officials and um, other individuals who uh, want to help youth um, make the right decisions of how to essentially. Absolutely. So everybody that you're, you've interviewed for the first, um, 12 episodes with a possible bonus episode or two. Um, everybody that you've interviewed uh, has personally lived in the child welfare system? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And who are some of the people we're going to be inter- meeting in, in, these, in these conversations? If you were to give mm-hmm. us a, a, oh, a, yeah. a teaser of some of, the, some of the amazing people and, and some of whom I, I know and some of whom I don't know, who, yeah. who, who are some of these folks? It's really. It was really hard for me to like uh, pick out some of like the because all of the conversations were amazing. Um, but I, I'll, I'll give you a teaser of two individuals. Actually, no, three. Three individuals that really just stood out to me. Um, and the conversations were so incredibly powerful. Um, in the very first episode, you guys are going to be meeting Connor Lowe's, who I believe had to come on to your podcast already mm-hmm. to speak. He is a very close friend of mine. Um, we've actually really um, been growing um, into the advocates that we are today together. We both joined um, the Youth for Change Steering Committee at OACAS at the same time around not this past June, but the June before that. So I believe 2019. And just people um, who don't know the OACAS, could you Oh, yes. So uh, OAC, yes, is the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Society. So they're a pretty much like an oversight for like the other agencies or like, uh, like, I guess, an advocate or um, 
yeah, they hold some kind of position of authority, but they, um, they do have really strong influence to policies and are heavily connected to the ministry um, to help kind of like the agencies run better and stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah. So he is an amazing individual. Holy cow. Um, I remember when I first met him, I was kind of just like, oh boy, like I know this guy, he, he's all talk and he's really smart. He goes to UFT and he likes to brag a lot and stuff. But like, <laughs> <laughs> that was like my first impression of him. But like, as I've really kind of grown with him, he has never failed to disappoint me. I won't know, like, he's never disappointed me. <laughs> he has never disappointed me. Like he is something else. He's a powerful, resilient individual who is currently like, he works his butt off. Like he would do school pretty much all year round. And um, he's, is currently the president of Youth and Care Canada. Uh, he had knows a lot of people in government. He's always just on time to every event um, that we're at. He's like, you always see him in the news now. And it's just, uh, he's an inspiration. He has really pushed me a lot because of how incredibly ambitious he was. I wanted to match that. I wanted to, um, you know, be as strong as he was. And so we talked about uh, the readiness indicators mm -hmm. and which is um, essentially a new reform that him, the, the current president, who he is currently the president of um, Youth and Care Canada um, and his partner, Cheyenne, um, who is currently the co-founder for the Ontario Associations, sorry, the Ontario Child's Advocacy Coalition. And um, they're doing a brilliant work into really trying to remove the age-out process, which is actually like an issue that a lot of kids in care has been fearful of. I was fearful of it when I first was brought into care um, because people would tell me at like the conferences, and I, which I used to go to at Youth and Care Canada, that, well, you have to really start preparing yourself for when you turn 18, because that is when everything changes for you. You are on your own and you have to make the right decisions early uh, or you're going to really essentially suffer the consequences later. And it doesn't matter how ready you are, how damaged you are, you just have to be ready. And for some people or for, as we see the majority of kids in care, you know, it doesn't work out because they need time to process and they're not given that. And so they're constantly in a state of distress and that's forced on them constantly. And so, although for me, I was excited to age out as like, I started to approach that age because I was really tired of people controlling my narrative and my life um, and telling me where to move, what to eat, what to do with myself, with my body, with my mind. I was, I felt like a prisoner constantly in somebody else's home. I never really felt, um, you know, belonged, um, belonging anywhere. Or like um, I was able to just like grow at my own pace. Um, and so um, when you turn 18, like I, uh, you know, people tell you when you start to get money, you have to save up all that money for when you turn 21. And then at 21, 
when the funding stops, you better have enough saving that will last you a couple of months. It's just constantly being um, in a state of fear for, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, we really go into that heavily um, mm. on his episode. And so, and he talks about the importance of what he's doing and how this is really going to change. And, um, you know, it's amazing. It really was. And he's, yeah, he's just like a brilliant speaker as well. So that's just the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, Connor's awesome. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, he's, he's an amazing guy. I absolutely agree. So who else are we meeting? Who else, um, are we going to be meeting this in this uh, series? Yes. Season one. So. I will tell you, like, this is actually probably one of my top favorite episodes in this series. And it's the one in which I filmed with Kingston and Aiden. Mm -hmm. So uh, Kingston is a a transgender male. And uh, he has an interesting story because um, essentially he given he was he gave birth to his son, Honor. And that really kind of, um, you know, confused the narrative of transgenderism Mm -hmm. and we kind of really talked about um first of all his sexuality but then also because he was a very strong black individual very passionate about his culture um like we had a conversation in regards to how he had to deal not only with being black in care but with his sexuality and then on the opposite spectrum we really got to see um Aiden's narrative where he felt like he was truly blessed to uh, first of all be put into the foster care system but also who he ended up being matched and paired with like his worker and I believe his foster parents they really supported him and gave him the strength and discipline and independence that he needed which is a rare thing and I thought that it was so incredibly vital to have that conversation where we get to see two perspectives um, one where a youth didn't have a good experience and why, but also one and where uh, a youth felt like their uh, their time in care was a success. And uh, we started to get into politics. It was such an in-depth and elaborate conversation. And it took so long that we had to divide it into two episodes because we couldn't stop talking. It just kept going and going and there was tears and it was such strong emotion. And eventually like afterwards uh, we continued to talk, like we had to eventually cut the episode and stop um, speaking. But after the episode was filmed, we started to talk more and we started to cry more. And it was just so healing. It felt so important. And that's the whole reason why I wanted to do this is because it's almost like I really, what I really wanted to do with this entire series and podcast was essentially um, translate these private troubles into like public issues, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And really open up the eyes of uh, society who don't really know much about the barriers that are happening inside the foster care system or inside their own country. Like they, people believe that Canada is just amazing. It's just perfect, but they don't see the things that happen um, under behind closed doors that is still within the government's control. And it's just like, it it drives my passion. And yeah, it's just, it it was amazing. It was so emotional and we were so 
worked up. It was, yeah, it was a perfect dynamic. And I'm so excited to, for you guys to listen yeah, to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. And just, I mean, you, you, you keep mentioning, um, uh, film. And so just for people to know, you will also have the opportunity. So Shanice, um, videoed all of these conversations. And so we're going to be supplementing the, the audio with, um, with video, if you want to, uh, and we'll, we'll put those links into the, into the show mm-hmm. notes. So if you go to cycpodcast.org, yeah. uh, you'll be able to get the link to the, the YouTube video so that you can, uh, see some of these conversations for those yeah. of you who, uh, beyond just hearing it. You know, yeah. one of the things that really strikes me about that, about that conversation you were just sharing with us is this idea that, you know, a lot of people think the care system is, is wonderful or horrible. And, uh, and we often are presented with these stories that are, you know, utopic, you know, it saved my life. It was so great. Or, you know, it was horrible. It was, you know, atrocious. It was, you know, and, and the reality is that the, the, the child welfare system is, is so complicated and nuanced and depends on who you are. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the racism in the, in the care system or, um, you know, being displaced from your community and the mm-hmm. history of, you know, indigenous people being removed. Um, and other people who, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who say it was, it was the best thing that happened to them. Right. And, and they, you know, who knows if they'd even be alive or work for the care system. Right. And so really, you know, I, I think it's so amazing that you're able to bring both of those perspectives into the, into the same room. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because as I continue to film more episodes, you really do start to see major themes um, coming up in each and every conversation. There's this idea that like, and at the end of every episode, I really do try to ask all the youth that come onto my podcast, what is one thing in which they feel like they could benefit from right now, whether it's like financial assistance or, um, you know, just like mental health supports, what is one thing that they feel like they, that would help them alleviate the effects of the foster care system? Mm. And one thing that I do keep on hearing from the youth is mentorship. Mm. They just want guidance. Mm -hmm. They just want to know what to do because Mm. in care, I think we're so caught up on just surviving, you know, when we're out of that space and this is actually another conversation that i ended up having with this youth named troy like that was more like almost an educational conversation we started to talk about um and and, and i did i I know i'm going off topic a little bit here but it's a really important message we started to talk about um generational trauma and how like that affects the black community and separating or destroying the bond the family bonds by removing the kids removing the father out of the homes we talked about epigenetics and you know really like educational conversations that i hope that social workers and other youth can learn from and i think that's the really big thing that we hope to accomplish with this is yes we want to have build awareness so we're able to start to um build um partnerships and collaborations to develop solutions um but we also want to really educate people we want to educate the youth on how to advocate for themselves that was an episode we wanted to educate youth around their resources that they have available to them we want to let youth know that actually you're not alone you have people right now who are 
fighting for you behind scenes. And that's what we're really trying to do with this organization. We're trying to pave the way for youth who are currently struggling in the foster care system so their life is a little bit easier. And um, to kind of go into a little bit into my story, um, I was a really, like, um, I was, uh, I guess, constantly, I guess, even before the foster system, I really struggled with just instability in my family atmosphere. And it was, it was because of what I found out later, what uh, ended up to be generational trauma that never was resolved. But, um, you know, I decided to build on my resilience and work hard um, to develop, you know, myself professionally to heal myself as well. But um, where was I going with this? Um, but essentially your trauma and, and education mm-hmm, changing but, and your advocacy. Yeah. And I think, um, sorry, there's, there's like noise in the background, but, um, I think what I really wanted was, uh, when I was building this organization was to almost even pave a way for who, uh, and I'm going to try and communicate this in the right way for almost like for the little Shanice that was Mm. in care um, at 16 years old, who I remember so vividly just having breakdowns and meltdowns by myself because it was so incredibly difficult for me to communicate to other people um, how I was feeling because I was constantly traumatized and people just didn't understand me and they didn't know how to help me so I felt alone I felt not understood Mm -hmm. and so building this I hope to really reach those youth to let them know that actually you're not alone Um, we are heavily uh, uh, motivated by our own experiences here on the podcast and um, we want other youth to know that uh, there's actually people working behind scenes who are fighting for you, paving the way. And although you don't see the results yet, and I know that it may seem like you're just in a dark tunnel um, trying to find a path, um, we're creating that and we're, we're opening that up for you. And you will see it in time, essentially. Hopefully I said that in the right way. but You, did, you said sense. it beautifully, beautifully, beautifully. Um, just as we, uh, you know, um, we start to move towards wrapping our, our conversation up, and I'm I'm so excited to be um, partnering with you and to to be to hear and to see the 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 episode as they come up. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm, you know, you you talk about, you know, your in in the home when when you take on a mothering role, and you know when I mm-hmm. when I call you, you'll um, and we and we we talk outside of this podcast, you'll be, you'll be preparing dinner for other people and you bring community together and you, 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 you know, you, you carry on that role. And I, and I wonder, um, how, how was it for you to be having these, these, you know, emotional, intense conversations as someone from the child welfare system with other people from the child welfare system? Um, Mm. yeah, what, what was that like? I, 
I would say that I felt obligated. Mm. You know, I felt that this is what I needed to do. It was my responsibility as somebody who has um, survived and overcome my trauma. I felt obligated to help other people overcome theirs. And it's like every single time, uh, you know, a youth, I see like a youth in need or somebody who maybe not is currently in need, but, you know, I could do something to help them feel at home. Um, I would do that. So yeah, like a lot of the guests who come over, I would have food prepared for them and like I would have them stay over. I just wanted them to feel really safe and comfortable. And if they weren't, I would make adjustments on my hand. And because it's like, it's, it's a responsibility and a role that I kept with me well after the foster care system, because in a lot of these homes, I would be like, the, the mother, I would be taking care of the younger kids or the more unstable kids. And they definitely viewed me as a, uh, a, a, a as, as some form of stability because other social workers who would be in our group home wouldn't understand them all the time. Or so they would come and for me to help for help. Um, or, you know, it was just like I would go out of my way a lot for these youth and I'm continuing to do that and pretty much make that my career because it's fulfilling for me. And it kind of helps me almost really heal from the process. Cause I learned so much from the youth who I help. And so, yeah, it's nice. just, it's amazing. It feels good. It feels right. Nice, 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 nice. You know, Shanice listening to you, it, it, it sounds right. It sounds like, um, I'm, I'm so excited about this the project outsiders um, starting with this podcast and then, and then the other elements of it. And um, uh, yeah, I, I invite everyone to, uh, to tune in. We're, we're going to be continuing uh, with our, our, our collaboration with taking it global uh, rising youth for the next couple months until that, that relationship wraps up. And then Shanice will be having uh, Fridays, for the, the next few months. And this is just mm-hmm. season one and, and she has other exciting ideas for mm-hmm. uh, season two and season three and, yeah. uh, and on and on. And uh, Shanice, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and having this conversation today. Uh, thank and, you and, for mm-hmm. allowing me to come onto your platform to really um, put it out there. Thank mm-hmm. you. You're yeah. welcome. I'm, I'm so excited to, uh, to, to hear the episodes and hear the response and uh, to, uh, to, to be with you as you as you change the child welfare system. Let's yeah. Let's do it. Let's change it. All right. Oh, I'm excited. Me too. Until, okay. until uh, next Friday. Uh, take care of yourself and goodbye. Bye. Bye.